Chapter Thirteen of Clogshop Chronicles by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Vaulting Ambition Two, Alighting. Sam Speck had often complained that there had been an oversight in the building of the clog shop. There ought to have been a window in the gable end of it, for that would have commanded a view of the road up past the chapel and have immensely enhanced the value of the clog shop as a coin of vantage from which to supervise the public life of the village. And on the night of the young doctor's return, Sam particularly felt the absence of this outlook. It was too wet to stand about outside, and too soon after his arrival to make a decent excuse for calling, and yet Sam was consumed with curiosity to see the doctor. Lige, the road-mender, driven in from his work by the rain, was also at the cloggery, and these two, Sam in his character of cynic, and Lige from sheer depression of spirits, were prophesying the certainty of the doctor's unapproachableness and pride, and prophesying all the more doggedly, as their vaticinations produced very welcome declarations of an opposite character from Jabe. As the evening drew on, the company increased, and while some expressed themselves hopefully, the majority of the cronies belied themselves by endorsing Long Ben's dictum that, We conna expect out else. Jabe, however, stoutly held out, and whilst admitting the force of Ben's argument as to the length of time the boy had been absent, the character of the society in which he had mixed, and the appearance he would have to keep up if he meant to succeed as a doctor, he still expressed unbounded confidence in Richard, and predicted that they would find that he had not changed in the least. In spite of all that Jabe could say, however, the company took a desponding view of the case, and Lige, the oldest person present, related numerous instances of persons who had left Beckside poor and unknown, and who either never acknowledged in after-days the place whence they had sprung, or else returned occasionally, and patronised the villagers with most offensive condescension. To crown all, Jethro the knocker-up recalled the well-known instance of Tommy Royal, who, when he had risen to the dignity of mayor of a distant borough, brought his grand wife and a party of corporation friends to see his birthplace, and made fun of the village and its inhabitants, even going to the length of chafing Jethro himself, for the amusement of his fine friends, about the importance of Beckside, and Jethro's thin voice assumed its deepest possible tones, as he impressively added, Ten year after, he were i' the Bastille. The relation of this oft-repeated tale in the present circumstances seemed to have a damping effect on the confidence even of Jabe, who relapsed under it into pensive silence. And as there was a long pause, the most painful of all things to Sam Speck, he broke it by smiting his thigh, and crying in tones of unalterable resolution, If o'er twenty childer, or keep em o'er warm, if we'd to ape porridge, I'm porridge to it. Long Ben, as the family man of the party, seemed to dissent from this view of the case, but was so slow in replying, that Jabe was just taking his pipe out of his mouth to answer, when the shop door sprang violently open. A tall figure rushed through the doorway, and putting a hand on the little counter, and clearing it at a jump, alighted on a heap of clog-chips on the other side. Turning to the company, the young doctor, for it was he, cried out in tones welcome as music to those who heard them, "'Eh, chaps! Ah, yo!' and in a moment he was taking them by the hands, and shaking them two at a time, and then, beginning again, and shaking again, he cried, "Eh, 
but i am fain to see your the effect was magical jabe straightened himself up and glanced proudly round on the rest sam and lige looked embarrassed but very happy jethro turned into the corner on the far side of the fireplace and blew his nose and long ben had recourse to a dirty red cotton handkerchief as it was summer time there was no fire in the ingle nook but the cronies sat in a circle round it as though it had been the depth of winter room was made for rutchett and he was speedily installed as the guest of the evening in the excitement of greeting most of the pipes had gone out and there was a general refilling as an introduction to proper conversation as soon as the doctor perceived this he cried out on chaps and diving into the pockets of a long loose coat he produced a handful of gigantic foreign cigars and handed them round crying as he did so no pipes to neat the monarch starts a pipe while there's any of these left or chuck him in the beck this terrible threat was quite unnecessary however cigars being at all times scarce things in beckside and foreign ones almost unknown and in a few moments seven round red spots gleamed fitfully in the deepening twilight yes richard warmsley had come back to beckside absolutely uncorrupted he had the same merry twinkle in his eye the same low but hearty laugh and the same frank open honesty in speech and act as he ever had he talked about his voyage and described the places he had seen and the adventures he had experienced and passed for a moment under a cloud when in answer to questions his information about methodist mission stations proved to be scanty and bald but the cronies noted with grim satisfaction that the doctor spoke seldom and always very modestly of himself uneasy about his ignorance of missions in the presence of experts he hastened back to his hospital days and described scenes which were most satisfactorily blood-curdling then he said a few rather lame words about being glad to be in beckside again his confusion as he expressed himself being regarded as in the highest degree becoming conversation afterwards became general and at length glancing hastily at a real gold watch which made sam speck's mouth water he asked leave to retire bargaining as he did so for a permanent place in the company which was of course rapturously granted to him didn't aw tell thee shouted jabe smiting ben heartily between the shoulders the longworth blood breeds true tha sees aw thowt he'd ha' been a bit more of a gentleman said sam speck in a tone of dubious regret and evidently forgetting his former and quite opposite fears gentlemen shouted six voices at once and sam was glad to vanish and escape the storm he had raised na jonas cried jabe as the company moved towards the door tha knows what in we mun up an art we on sunday morning jonas looked a moment at the clogger in perplexity and then replied oh ay but what if the preacher winna have it have it he'll at have it and accordingly on the following sabbath morning with a full attendance of the choir and a quite unusual congregation the becksiders gave their old-time sunday-school scholar a most characteristic welcome singing as he stood by his proud mother's side and are we yet alive and see each other's face now dr warmsley was not an exceptionally clever man he had got the ordinary surgeon's qualifications and had passed his examinations respectably and that was all but you couldn't have convinced beckside of that 
the postman had shown sam speck a letter on the envelope of which was the doctor's name with no less than seven mysterious and imposing letters behind it a fact which was duly communicated to the authorities at the clog shop and discussed at becoming length clever or not young richard was soon as popular as either his mother or uncle could wish he greeted the young men who had been boys with him as owd lad and called the girls by their christian names he took the chair at the sarman's tea-party and the villagers laughed and cried together as he spoke in simple language of the days of old lang syne jabe as senior superintendent lifted his head almost out of his very high shirt collar as he announced that dr warmsley had undertaken to take the little wenches whilst the schoolmistress was away on a holiday now the beckside neighbourhood even if you included the whole of the clough embracing brogdon parish and clough end was not exactly a happy hunting-ground for an aspirant to medical fame the inhabitants were mostly of tough constitution and regarded hardness and stoical endurance of small ills as so indispensable a virtue that their applications for professional assistance were comparatively rare and always reluctant besides this they showed a marked preference for contraband or at any rate irregular forms of doctoring every housewife of any pretensions was something of a herbalist and every cottage ceiling was adorned with numerous brown paper bags containing yarbs supposed to be potent for life or death and there was no more important person in the village than little eli who lived in shaving lane and who whilst doing a little occasional business as a barber maintained himself chiefly by collecting drying and preserving herbs and retailing certain mysterious but potent salves ointments and drops prepared therefrom for some years eli had no more constant customer than rachel warmsley who prided herself on being a sort of valuable walking advertisement of the efficacy of eli's celebrated pain drops which she took as a cure for her rheumatism but when the doctor had been at home a week or two eli lost his largest customer for rachel anxious for her son's future success and scheming constantly to promote it suddenly realised that eli was an enemy and a stone of stumbling in her son's path oh'm fain our rutchart's come home she would say if it's nowt but what he's done for my pains and when the person to whom she was speaking asked the question she intended them to ask she would reply eh hey, wench there's nowt like a gradely doctor efter all or oh, tackin gallons upon gallons o eli's drops and what better were aw but the fust bottle our richard gave me cured me a uh, a uh, uh, partly what and then after a pause she would add in an impressive whisper they tell me as eli's toothwarch pills is nowt but cobbler's wax after shaking a loose leg for several weeks the doctor began to shape at practising as his mother's house was small and low even for beckside and there was no suitable one empty jabe offered his parlour for temporary use and long ben painted a neat board on which was inscribed warmsley surgeon the doctor busied himself in sending to london for his remaining belongings and certain necessities of his profession and when these arrived and were arranged on shelves in the parlour with just the slightest bit of ostentation the habitués of the clog shop were invited to inspect the extemporised surgery and listened open-mouthed as the doctor explained the uses of the instruments and chemicals jethro the knocker-up 
was regarded as a benefactor, when, after a preliminary cough or two, he asked to be treated for the asthmatic. Then a bad cut on Ben's finger was submitted, and the way the doctor's deaf fingers bathed and bandaged it made a profound impression. Then Sam Speck wanted a large wart removed from inside one of his fingers, and the howl he set up when the doctor, with a comprehensive wink at the company, dropped a drop of some terrible fiery fluid upon it, completed their satisfaction. Very soon the young physician was getting a fair amount of practice, and so after a serious consultation to which Jabe and Aunt Judy were called, it was decided that a piece of land opposite the chapel should be bought, and Long Ben was requisitioned to prepare plans, and presently, after much profound debate both at the cottage and the clog shop, the house began to rise upon its foundations. But Rachel realised now more clearly than ever that she could never take the place of the doctor's lady, and so she began to cast about to get him wisely married. The doctor must get in with the quality, and so she thought of going to Brogdon Church, but her fear of Jabe, and also of her son, compelled her to abandon that idea. Money was a sine qua non, she felt in this case, but she realised with distress that she had no connections with the upper ten in the neighbourhood, and no means of establishing such connections. Then she remembered, and was astonished she had so long forgotten it, that one of the ladies whose acquaintance she had made at Duxbury on her fashion-studying expeditions had two daughters, and in a few days she had them over to spend the weekend with her. But Richard, though gallant enough to the maidens whilst they stayed, openly ridiculed both their dress and their manners when they had gone. Next she thought of asking the schoolmistress, who on Richard's advent had gone back to Bob Turner's, whether she had any eligible friends whom she could invite to Beckside, and was busy maturing this idea in her mind, when Aunt Judy came in one day, evidently laden with important news. "'Well, thou'll do bart the ducks be dowdies now,' began the visitor. "'Judy Longworth, thou'll have a nickname for the Almighty afore long. Dowdies. But what shall I do bart em for? "'Cause your rutchets fun one near a home, and a fine seat better too.' "'Near a home?' cried Rachel, turning pale. "'Whatever dost mean?' "'Well, if thou'd open thy een, thou'd see. If it had been a lad o' mine, or should ne'er a needed anybody for to tell me, or should have fun it out a month sin. Now, as Aunt Judy was quite as curious as Rachel, and almost as interested in the doctor's future, but had only been in possession of her great secret some ten minutes, it is to be feared that her statement was somewhat unscrupulous. But if she exaggerated for effect, she certainly had a reward, for Rachel went white to her lips, put her hand to her heart, winced with a sudden twinge of her old pains, and with terrible visions of Richard eloping with a factory girl, she fell back into her chair, crying half in tears. "'Eh, wench, that's set me o'er of a whacker. Spake, woman, spake. Spake? Dost mean to say as thou's lived in the same house with him, and doesn't know as he's in love with the school missus? The look on Rachel's face as she slowly grasped the situation baffles description. Amazed at the character of the news, and confounded by the fact that while she had been anticipating remote dangers, she had never seen the nearer and more likely one, she was stunned, and sat looking at Judy dumbfounded. Judy, in calm enjoyment of the effect she had produced, 
was just preparing to make a remark as a means of setting Rachel off again, when she was spared the trouble, for Miss Redford herself suddenly opened the door and stepped into the house, her pale face evidently flushed with pleasant excitement. Before she could speak, however, Rachel started to her feet, and with red angry face almost screamed out, "'Stop where you are! How can you for shame to show your face here? Pike out of the arse, and never darken that door again, yaw!' But the schoolmistress didn't hear the rest, having hastily retreated with surprise and distress on her face. Aunt Judy called her back, but she sped on, so in hot indignation Judy turned upon Rachel, voicing the popular local opinion, and declaring, "'Who's as good as your dick on day?' the dick being a title never applied to the doctor, except in contempt. This only inflamed poor Rachel the more, and for some minutes the battle raged hot and fierce, until at last, no match for the redoubtable Judy in word warfare, and already condemned at the bar of her own conscience, she lapsed into silence, and allowed her visitor to retire with the honours of the conflict. Now it happened that Judy was right, and the doctor had asked for an interview with Miss Redford, taking no pains to conceal his purpose in so doing. And so, as the prospect was very sweet to her, the mistress was in a flutter of happy feeling when she called upon Rachel. The reception she met with rudely opened her eyes, and prompted her, after a severe struggle, to decline the proffered honour. And next day young Richard went back from the place of rendezvous, a rejected man. The mistress knew better than most people how deep and all-absorbing was Rachel's love for her son, and convinced herself that it was her duty to make the sacrifice for the mother's sake, and so in declining the doctor she did not even encourage his urgent supplication for a possible hope in the future. That night the doctor went home a miserable man, and found without particularly noticing it a still more miserable woman. Rachel knew that Miss Redford would have been an ideal wife, but she had no money, and in Rachel's opinion that was a fatal objection. She was greatly exercised, especially as a fairly healthy conscience did its duty, and the doctor grew gloomier every day. One night, after an unavailing attempt to move Miss Redford, or to get any explanation out of her, the doctor came home very late. He looked weary, and scarcely answered Rachel's inquiries and the distressed mother went to bed to toss about and cry and pray. Next day Richard went off to Duxbury, and did not return until the third night. He seemed more cheerful, however, and Rachel began to hope the worst might be over, when to her dismay he began to tell her of an assistance place in Manchester that was vacant, and carried with it the chance of a partnership. Poor Rachel was at her wit's end, and to make things worse, a neighbour brought her intelligence that the schoolmistress had given notice to leave. The same morning Aunt Judy went to the clog shop, muttering and shaking her head as she walked. Having beckoned the clogger into the parlour, where he followed her very leisurely, for it would never do to show any great concern about a woman's communications, Judy opened her budget by saying, "'Jabe, I've summat on my mind.' Jabe grunted with apparent unconcern, but in a few moments he was eagerly looking into his sister's face as she detailed the memorable interview in which she had taken a part. When she had finished and received emphatic admonition to say, Nout to Norbury, she departed, and Jabe, after a vain attempt to resume work, put off his apron 
and putting on his most uncompromising look marched off to interview rachel she was almost glad to see him and listened with chastened manner to his utterances he certainly did not spare her and when he left the air seemed to be clearer and rachel began to see her way next day with a subdued and wistful look on her face she made her way to the little schoolhouse timing her visit so as to arrive just as the scholars were loosing the mistress perched on a high stool at a desk blushed quickly as she caught sight of her visitor and rachel stepping timidly up said in penitent apologetic tones will you speak to me for answer the mistress leaned over and kissed her rachel was much moved and for a few moments neither of the women spoke then rachel took an aimless sort of look round the school and dropping her head much as a guilty schoolgirl might have done said very softly oh ax your pardon tears came into the mistress's eyes and she bowed her head on the desk and sobbed quietly there was another long silence and then rachel still standing by the high desk faltered you you can have him if you want the schoolmistress shook her still bowed head very resolutely ay eh would you mun have him another shake of the head another sob and another painful silence rachel sighed heavily took a long troubled glance round the school again and finally said chokingly oh can i have him if you donna but still the schoolmistress did not speak and the older woman clinging to the edge of the desk continued oh no i've done wrong but if ever you're a hen we one chick yourself you'll forgive me hey do have him do and as she pleaded thus she timidly slid her hand across the desk until it touched the little white hand of the mistress and patting it coaxingly she resumed oh gan his feyther up to god twenty-two years sin and i'll give him up to you if you'll have him and then her head dropped upon the desk and she began to sob as if her heart would break the schoolmistress tried to comfort her and so the ice was broken and they talked and rachel pleaded so urgently that when they left the school miss redford had consented to receive another visit from the doctor next day all beckside knew that young richard was to marry their beloved schoolmistress End of chapter thirteen